Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Tuesday the 25th and this is episode 49. Uh, in total, I have nine, this is the 91st episode that I have actually made as I was doing twice weekly for the most of the most part of 2021. And as it is the end of January, 2022, this marks our first year anniversary here at Yancey Street. Um, so congratulations to the podcast for making it a year. There are now going to be nine 91 episodes to catch up on if you are new here. So welcome, happy to have you. Uh, stick around, we have an excellent episode planned today. Um, as usual, we're going to start off with the news, of which we have regular news and rumors. Fortunately, this week we have a majority of this is actual news, um, and we only have a few points of rumors. Um, and it's going to be stuff involving... Uh, let's see, we have a new MonsterVerse show, we have some stuff happening at Marvel, and we have some stuff happening on Disney+. Plus. We're going to talk about it. As for rumors, it's more MCU stuff. It's always MCU stuff. <laughs> and then we're going to go into the comic book picks from the week. These are things that came out the 18th and 19th of January. And we're going to start off the picks with a special edition rundown of... Let's see, uh, what is his name? Jeremy Bastian's Cursed Pirate Girl, uh, which I discovered this week and had a lot of fun diving into. So we're going to talk about that, as well as all of the really great stuff that came out this week. There was the She-Hulk series kicked off, there was some returns of some indie stuff, and some just general really cool comics from the past week. Um, and then there's also some really excellent stuff for this coming week. Uh, for DC Comics, those are already out today on the 25th, and for everything else, it'll be out tomorrow the 26th of January Wednesday new comic book day like usual there are a lot of indie number ones again this week which is really exciting for me um we normally get this kind of flurry of new indie stuff sometime towards summer um so it's really cool that we're getting this earlier in the year um and hopefully they will all turn out to be just as good as they sound. Um, after the comic book picks, oh, I'll have to say, as the comic book pull list, at the end of that, we are going to be discussing the mighty return of Saga. Um, and if you have, don't know what that is referring to, you'll figure it out by the time we get there. Um, after the comic book pull list and a little discussion about Saga, Book of Boba Fett, episode four, The Gathering Storm, which I also have a uh, in-depth history of the Wookiees and Trandoshans and why they don't get along. Uh, as it is getting towards the end of the month, we are uh, full of solicitations for comics coming out in April. Uh, so we have the full Marvel April comic book solicitations as well as the full DC April comic book solicitations. And that is how we will wrap up the episode talking about stuff to expect in April from those two publishers. And if you wonder why I go over that, it's to announce, you know, any upcoming new series that are going to be really, really interesting uh, to myself or to uh, my own audience and it's a really good way to kind of keep your eye on the industry in general Marvel and DC are what they might call the big two however they are not 
at all everything that comes out in comics. There's this whole, what you might call, indie market, which is just as big, if not bigger, than the two of them. Um, but if you keep an eye on what is happening between Marvel and DC, you tend to get some industry trends. I would honestly throw Image in there as a big third, um, because they do... They are... They are... Um, they, they handle things a lot similarly to Marvel and DC, um, which is a whole other conversation. But uh, that's why I like to go over the comic book solicitations for uh, what's coming out in the future, whenever they make those new announcements, to keep your eye on the industry. Um, if there's anything of interest that's going to be popping up on there, you're going to want to know about it beforehand so you can order it from your comic book shop. Um, and it's just really fun to know and keep your ear to the ground on what's going on um, within the quote big two. I do have some brief podcast updates um, and that is going to be something that I think I'm going to talk about when I start the news. Um, so I'll do my regular social media rundown here first. If you want to find me online, the best place to do that is Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. Uh, Twitter, I really don't do as much as I should for updating uh, podcast news and such, but that is Savage She Geek. Um, but the best place that you can find my work is my website, and that is currently sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. And it does have highlights there on the front page about characters Madeline Pryor, who is the Goblin Queen, Ileana Rasputin, who is Magic, and Clea, who is the new Sorcerer Supreme at Marvel starting in, well, actually, I think starting with uh, Death of Doctor Strange number five, but she's getting her own series as the Sorcerer Supreme starting in March. So if you have want to get any kind of information on those three characters who are going to be pretty relevant in the comics world soon, definitely check out that homepage. Uh, you can also find on my site, um, which I'll be posting today, the pod notes, which are pretty much just the rundown of the podcast that I go along with um, to make sure that I hit all the points that I want to hit. Um, that are, is made available on my site for reading the podcast instead of listening, if that is something of interest to you. Um, it's also, of course, made available for anyone who is hearing impaired who would like to keep up with the podcast week-to-week -week activities as well. The last thing you can find on my site that might be of interest are links to all the places that you can listen to this podcast, which does include most podcast hosting apps, and it includes YouTube, where I post all of the podcast videos in one playlist, um, and I also post action figure review videos. Uh, the last couple of ones have been 2020 Haslab Sentinel, Marvel Legends Tigra, Shadow Meow Schools from Fortnite, um, there's a fun tour of our toy collection under Blacklight, which I really need to update our toy collection video anyway, because we've kind of moved. <laughs> we've, we've, we've moved parallel to where we were before. Um, and I also have a video covering Captain Carter, who is another character who's going to be coming back into the comics soon. Um, and her Marvel Legends figure is actually pretty solid. Um, and the last thing that I have up, I think, is the Marvel Legends Psylocke uh, slash Quanin compared to the imported Moffex version, uh, which does make the Marvel Legends version look like a 90s toy biz piece of crap. So check that out if you're into... Uh, any of that kind of stuff. I do have a podcast Patreon. It is findable there under Sensational She Geek. It's pretty 
obvious <laughs> what most of my socials are under. Uh, it's set up there for donations to support the podcast. It is where I am posting um, any of my podcast specials. I will post there a few days up to a week or two before I post them publicly. Um, the most recent one was, of course, the end of year comic book wrap up. Um, which is now public, so if you would like to listen to that, that is set up um, everywhere you can listen to my podcast, and you can find that pretty easily. Um, and the Patreon is there uh, for if you would like that, or if you would just like to support the podcast in general. Um, I also have my Kofi Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal all linked in Linktree, which does appear at the bottom of each episode's description. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the news. Like I said, we are going to start this off by giving some brief podcast updates. As I mentioned at the beginning, it has been officially one year of Sensational Shiki live from Yancey Street being an active podcast. So congratulations to us all. And this is in total, the this is episode 49, but it is actually the 91st episode um, because I was doing bi-weekly for a while and that just ended up being a bit much uh, and we're just doing weekly episodes plus monthly specials which speaking of the specials the She-Hulk special podcast has been moved a bit in the distance it's been moved to May um, so it is going to actually be premiering just before Multiverse of Madness comes out I believe May 5th um, I was planning on posting it for the return of the She-Hulk comic series that was this month last week actually but I just discovered that that is actually only gonna be a five issue series so I will just make it a special edition podcast prepping for the show which I uh, will bet money on is starting in June so the next special edition podcast episode is going to be called the running title for at least right now the working title is patsy walker mental health and toxic romance in comics that is going to be premiering appropriately around valentine's day so the comic book specials coming up over the next few months we have february covering toxic romance in comics march covering clea coming out before strange number one April covering Magic, coming out before New Mutants number 25, and May covering She-Hulk, coming out before Multiverse of Madness, and subsequently her own Disney Plus show. We also have this week, uh, getting into the regular news now, the official runtime for Matt Reeves' The Batman has been announced, and that is a whopping two hours and 55 minutes, making it officially the longest superhero movie of all time. I'm not really sure if that's a positive or a negative, honestly. We'll probably have to wait and see. Um, you know, anything that looks great in a trailer can end up being truly, truly... Um, just dragged out way too long in a movie. So I really want this to be a great movie. I have, I think most of what we've seen so far is pointing to this is going to be a really fantastic movie. Um, I think it's probably going to be a lot, the kind of reaction that we kind of got to uh, Batman Begins back in whatever, God, was that 2009? I think it was actually before that. 2008? I don't know. Whenever that was uh, that Batman Begins came out, the reaction that the public in general kind of had to that movie was, oh, wow, this is legitimate Batman. This Batman feels like a real, like, cinema thing. I feel like it's people are going to feel the same way after this movie. Um, definitely a different take on the character specifically of Bruce Wayne and Batman, a different 
time period in his career as well. Um, uh, but I think the general audience reaction is going to be the kind of hype that we saw post Batman Begins, which was a pretty cool thing um, as a fan of nerdy stuff to have be popular. Um, and we're back there again. So hopefully once this is coming out March 4th, the Batman's coming out March 4th. We have just over a month to wait for that. So that's a very exciting um I, I just realized all of my podcast specials that I'm going to be doing are, they're primarily involving Marvel stuff. And I just realized I should probably add some DC in here somewhere. I, I swear I'm a fan of both. <laughs> uh, but the Batman again, coming out March 4th, two hours and 55 minutes. We had an announcement for Apple TV. I believe it's, is it actually Apple TV Plus? I think it's Apple TV Plus. I, I, I don't know how they're getting away with calling it Plus, like Paramount Plus. Disney started that. <laughs> uh, but the Apple TV announcement is that they are doing a MonsterVerse show. MonsterVerse meaning the whole, um, I believe it was Legendary, is the uh, production house that is making the Godzilla, the Kong, and all those, uh, Skull Island, all of those properties that we've been seeing in the past oh gosh, 10 years or so. Um, yeah, it started in 2014 with Godzilla. So yeah, past ten, past eight years, all of that interconnected stuff is now being funneled into a Apple TV Plus TV show. This is going to be a live action show. The thing that's particularly exciting about this, um, obviously I am a big fan of large monster fight movies. I think I've been, and and comics and properties like that, I think I've been very open about that. Big monster battles is how you get me interested in something that not caring about the plot. But uh, this probably will have a pretty decent plot because Matt Fraction is going to be writing this. Um, If you do not know who Matt, well, he's going to be co-writing it. All right, fair. that is, I think, very exciting. Well, he's going to be also uh, executive producing it, I think, is what his official title is. I'm not sure he's actually writing, so scratch that. Executive producing it, um, which is good news. He is known for the, uh, obviously, Matt Fraction and David Aha Hawkeye series, which the Hawkeye show was primarily, the plot of the Hawkeye show was primarily pulled from. Um... Oh gosh, what else has he done? He's done Sex Criminals with Chip Zartsky. Um, uh, let's see, he's done Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, which I do believe was an Eisner Award winning series. Uh, he worked on Avengers vs. X-Men. He's written a fair amount of X-Men and Thor at Marvel. Um, he's written The Inhumans once or twice. He has done a fair amount of indie stuff. He's doing Adventure Man with the Dodsons right now. Obviously, Sex Criminals uh, being one of my all-time favorite comics. Um, and a few other things like Odyssey uh, with actually Christian Ward, who is a fantastic artist. Um, and some some other really fantastic stuff. So, um, Matt Fraction, he's an award-winning comic book writer. I don't actually think he's been involved in... In television before. Um, so I'm super curious to know how this kind of came to be. Uh, but that's that's the news that he's he's gonna be writing this show, and the show has been officially announced. Uh, the plot synopsis of this show, which is currently untitled, has the following official description. It says, following the thunderous battles between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco and the shocking new reality that monsters are real, the series explores one family's journey to uncover 
uncover its buried secrets and a legacy linking them to the secret organization known as Monarch. Obviously, Monarch is the company that uh, is involved with the whole Godzilla stuff. They are they were tracking it historically, um, trying to find it. The Monarch is like the overarching, um, the overarching corporation across this the whole MonsterVerse universe the whole monsterverse period i guess is how that would go um it's going to be produced by legendary so that was right legendary television and executive produced by co-creators chris black uh it says co-creators i'm just thinking i'm reading it says co-creators chris black who will also serve as a showrunner um so chris black i guess he did star trek enterprise uh, and a show called Outcast, which I'm not familiar with. It says additional executive producers include Matt Fraction, yay! Alongside Safe House Pictures, Joby Harold and Tori Tunnel and Toho Company Limited. Oh gosh, Hiro Matsuka and Takamasa Arida will executive produce for Toho, the owner of the Godzilla character. That's pretty cool. Uh, so they have the actual Godzilla people in here as well. Now, this series, as I mentioned, series, this MonsterVerse, was more or less kicked off in 2014 with the Godzilla movie. I really enjoyed that movie. Again, all I want from big monster movies is big monster fights that look cool. I don't care about plot. <laughs> plot helps, but it's not the main thing we're there for when we're talking, like, King of the Monsters style movies, so... I loved 2014's Godzilla. It was followed up by 2017's Kong Skull Island, and then 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters, and finally this past year's Godzilla vs. Kong, all of which I thoroughly enjoyed. I think actually the more they tried to add plot into King of the Monsters and vs. Kong, the less I liked it. So just give me the battles. <laughs> give me the big monster stuff. Uh, there is also, somewhat related to this, an animated Skull Island TV series in development, which is set for exclusive release on Netflix. So, presumably completely unrelated to this show. Um, potentially spinning off of the Skull Island movie, um, but not related to the show necessarily. Some fun news for Marvel Comics. If you might remember last March, they did a series of Vogue-style fashion covers, which were drawn and designed by Jen Bartel, fantastic cover artist and really great illustrator and designer. Uh, this month, or sorry, this year for Women's History Month come March, we are going to be seeing another set of six Women's History Month covers. Actually, I think Jen Bartel did eight, but they're doing six this year. They're going to be done by all different creators, female creators, and all different characters. Um, what's interesting about these set of covers is that they are going to be uh, paying homage, oh, homage, oh, homage. Why do neither of those sound right? Homage, homage. There we go to <laughs> various female uh, historical figures through history. So we have um, Emma Frost, this has been four announced so far, last two are announced. The four we know so far are Emma Frost, Cersei, Magic, and Captain Carter, and 
respectively they will be portraying Queen Elizabeth I, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, and Captain, or as Captain Carter is portraying the British suffragettes. suffragettes. And these are all going to be done by Sarah Pacelli, Emma Lupacino, Rian Gonzalez, and Betsy Cola, who I just discovered is Filipino, which is pretty cool. Uh, husband's Filipino, if I, I've mentioned that many times. The other two are yet to be announced. However, just based off of the tags on the marvel.com article covering these four, uh, the last two are likely going to be She-Hulk and some female character from the Thor Marvel mythos, whether that be Jane Foster, um, Runa, who is the new Valkyrie, uh, Brunhilde, who is a deceased Valkyrie, uh, his grand, I don't know why they would do that, but whatever female Thor character they're going to do, um, who that could possibly be in history, She-Hulk as well, who she could possibly be portraying in history, I'm not really sure. Although I would say I would really be tickled if they had She-Hulk as the late great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, RBG, I think that would be pretty cool because she is a notoriously petite woman she was, right? Um, at least that's always the image that seemed to be put out for her. <laughs> so I think it would be pretty funny to have She-Hulk, big and green, uh, dress homage, homage, it doesn't sound right again, homaging her. It, it still doesn't sound right. <laughs> But those will be really fun covers. They're all coming out in March. I do not have the dates for them specifically, but if you um, ask your local comic shop, I have no doubt they will know exactly what you're talking about because Marvel is making a bit of a big deal about these. Coming in uh, June, coming in, uh, no, is that right? In June from Marvel, we have Daredevil number one. That's right, that is not just the Spider-Man series that is being rebooted this year, we are also rebooting Daredevil. The good news is, of course, this is with still Marco Cicchetto and Chip Sartsky. I said that as artist, comma, writer. Um, they were the team who had been mainlining the recently ended Daredevil series. It went up to something like 36, I want to say. Um, and for some reason, they're starting a new number one. <laughs> Personally, I am not a fan of comic company, comic publishers putting out a bunch of series of the same character and just restarting it over again. Again, a great, fantastic example, really stellar, stellar, by that I mean really super depressing example, is Silk, Cindy Moon. Fantastic character. Um, doesn't get the kind of attention that she deserves because whenever they put out a series for her, they have it be a handful of issues and then a couple of years later they do another one restarting it at issue one handful of issues she's on her fourth series right now um the the fourth number one that silk has had and it's only in a six-year period the first i believe was 2016 how does that make sense I think one of them went up to 16 issues, one of the first two series. Um, it's just, they keep doing this and they keep restarting stuff and they say that it's because it's, it's, it's imposing for readers to look and see that they have 800 issues or so of Spider-Man to go through. That's not how comics work. I don't think people actually think that's how comics work. Um, especially now that DC has 
finally given up trying to fight that and gone ahead and done yes we have wonder woman 700 and something detective comics a thousand and something action comics a thousand and something now those are comics that are doing extraordinarily well for them that's their pillar it's their big three basically <laughs> superman obviously has well his son has his own comic right now and batman obviously has there's two other batmans who have their own comics now um but that's not preventing new readers from picking up detective comics 1048 or something like that um and that was my little rant on renumbering i just i really don't like it. i don't think it it does much for the character i don't think it gets new readers in <laughs> um if they really if they, they've done it in the past if they really want new readers to jump on uh, uh, what they want to call a number one but not actually call that a number one i think back in marvel now uh whenever that period was 2016 or so um i believe they for a number of series they continued their regular numbering i believe deadpool was one of them um it continued you know 36 37 38 whatever the numbers may have been but they put number one on the cover so that people showing up to the comic shops would see that as the big number and then down in the corner you see this is issue whatever but that is to mark it as the first story in this story arc, the first issue in the story arc, so new readers can jump on board comfortably without being like, oh, well, do I have to worry about the other 30 issues or 800? I don't know what person would think that they have to read a thousand issues of Superman to pick up an action comics 10 something, a thousand and something, but apparently Marvel thinks that that's how people think. Um, so the good news, I guess, to take away from this is it's from the fantastic Chipsarsky and Marco Cicchetto, and it's going to be focusing on Matt and Elektra. And I believe this is a quote from Chipsarsky. Matt and Elektra have faced their past mistakes with Devil's Reign and Woman Without Fear, but can they make up for them together? So while I believe um, Matt is going to be the main, the only daredevil in this comic, it will also be focusing on Elektra. Um, and this also brings up some questions for me because the way that the Daredevil series kind of ended and led into Devil's Reign and Woman Without Fear, that really seemed to be putting the little bow on top of the complete package of Chipsartsky's Daredevil run. Um, but now they're extending it. And a lot of the reason why this kind of had happened at all was because Substack gave him a big old check to write for them, which is fantastic for him. And he's giving all of his subscription money to uh, LGBTQ charities, which is also fantastic. Um, but I guess he is now continuing his work with Marvel, uh, Substack be damned. So I'm very curious. Uh, I'm not particularly involved in Substack what's coming out of that um if you do know what chip is up to there i'd be curious to to find out if he's putting in a lot of work and if we're getting a lot of stuff from the substack chip or if he is kind of backing off of that and he's gonna go and focus more on daredevil at marvel either way i'm just curious our bit of disney plus news is excellent for anybody who is a fan of the fantasy book series percy jackson because Disney Plus has officially greenlit the Percy Jacksons and the Olympians series. This project has been in development since May 2020, which is roughly around the time that they announced that they were going to be making this series, but it wasn't officially a go. Um, they, like most different um, of these television projects, usually they have to make a pilot or at least get partially done on 
what the first episode would be for the whatever the developing studio in this case of course Disney to approve it and give them the rest of the check to make the rest of the program um, and that was the kind of the, the limbo that Percy Jackson and the Olympians was in for the past two years now they have officially greenlit it which was announced today um, and so they're going to be getting a live action Percy Jackson series based off of Rick Riordan, Riordan's best-selling novels. I personally did not read these books. Um, I don't know why, I just wasn't in my wheelhouse at the time when I was of that age. But I remember the flurry of, of fan frustration <laughs> that came from the Logan Lerman movies. <laughs> the plural, right? I think there was more than one. Um, I thought they were fine, but they were pretty much just cheesy fantasy things. Personally, my interest, uh, though I did not read the books, is because I, I dig the whole mythology of it. Um, so that is what would make me interested in this. Now we have a few quotes from official Disney people. This first one is from Disney branded TV president. The name is A.O. Davis, who says, with Rick Riordan, John Steinberg, and Dan Schatz leading our creative team, we're deep into creating a compelling TV series worthy of the heroic mythological characters that millions of Percy Jackson readers know are well worthy caring about. We're eager to invite Disney Plus audiences into stories that are true to the blockbuster franchise and full of anticipation, humor, surprise, and mystery. We also have a quote from 20th century, well it's 20th TV but it was used to be Fox. Uh, now owned by Disney, President Carrie Burke says, bringing Rick Riordan's brilliant Percy Jackson books to Disney Plus as a television series has been a mission for so many of us at this company as well as for Rick himself and John, Dan, James, and the excellent team they have assembled have proven to be the perfect collaborators. Thanks to our friends at Disney Branded Television, led by AO, the Dis and Disney Streaming, led by Michael, this will be an, an adaption for the ages, with all the excitement, action, and mythology fans of the books expect and love. I don't know about you, I didn't even read that books, but that sounds pretty positive to me. Now, my last bit of official news was actually from almost a whole year ago. Last January, when uh, DC Future State was being kicked off, to get more interest in the character of Yara Floor, it was announced that they would be making a CW TV show called Wonder Girl based around her character. <laughs> then very quietly, a month later, canceled it. And I realized that yesterday, so I wanted to add that in here. Um, what the hell, DC? <laughs> First, you only put your characters of color in TV shows, and then you cancel the TV shows anyway. <laughs> hmm. Uh, and there is a lot of people who still are really disappointed in the series being canceled. I can't really imagine why they would have done that. Only The only thing that I can think is that there was never a series being planned to begin with. Um, the only thing that makes me there think there actually may have been solid plans is that I believe Joel Jones, the creator of Yara Floor, was actually tied to writing credits for it. Um, so that's pretty disappointing, especially for her. I would have loved to see her uh, have some TV credits under her belt because uh, she is a phenomenal writer and she did create this character. Um, but I guess that is just not what Warner wants to do with their television shows. They just want to keep pumping out Flash TV. 
Now for a bit of rumors, uh, the first rumor is that we may be seeing in the She-Hulk show Daredevil, not just Daredevil, but he may be premiering his yellow suit. That's pretty much the extent of the rumor. Uh, the yellow suit, if you're unfamiliar, is actually his original Daredevil suit that he did wear for the first time when we first saw him in the comics. Yes, we do learn eventually that his first look uh, was the black street look, I guess is what you might call that, uh, which we do see in the Netflix Daredevil show. Um, but then in the Netflix Daredevil show, he goes directly into the red suit after that. The yellow suit, uh, like I said, is his original suit from the comics, uh, first appearing in Daredevil number one, 1964, which is the character's first appearance altogether. It was designed by Bill Everett, and only had one large D on the chest as opposed to the more modern known double Ds. <laughs> two overlapping Ds. <laughs> and the story about the yellow suit, just as a fun fact, uh, it was actually made in story by Matt uh, for, out of his late father's boxing clothes. If you're at all familiar with Daredevil's story, uh, Matt's dad was a boxer and he, to try and be a good father, he was taking money from the mob and throwing fights to be able to you know, pay for his kid, um, because it was a single parent household. And one night he decides he's gonna win the fight and the mob kills him for the money they lost. Um, and so that is, of course, Matt is already blind at that point, um, as a child, but that is the story of his father. That's very tragic. Um, you know, it's all tied up in Matt's origin. Uh, and that is what makes this yellow suit very relevant to the character, is that it is actually made from his late father's boxing uniform. The second rumor we have isn't really a rumor, to be honest. We just had some secret invasion set licks, set peaks, set picks leak? Set pictures leak. Uh, the secret invasion, I guess, I guess being filmed currently. And we had some pictures leak of Amelia Clark, Samuel L. Jackson, and Colby Smolders in action, it would seem. Um, we know, obviously, Samuel L. Jackson and Colby are going to be the Maria Hill and... Oh, Nick Fury. <laughs> but we don't know, we don't have an official announcement of who Amelia Clark is playing. In the pictures that they took, uh, the paparazzi basically photos, <laughs> it seems that she looks extremely thin. Um, I don't know if that's what she normally looks like, but she looks like ill thin almost. But that's, I think it's, um, it's like that because they put her in very large baggy clothes um, and she kind of just slowly walks down the street without much expression or anything going on. So a lot of people are looking at that saying, oh, she's a scroll. That could be very possible. Other rumors of what she might be playing in the Secret Invasion show uh, include Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, and Abigail Brand, um, all of whom could be also a scroll. So... Anything is possible when anybody can be a scroll. We have a good amount of comic book picks to talk about this week. Like I mentioned before, these are comics from the 18th and the 19th of January, and we're going to start off with the special edition rundown of Cursed Pirate Girl, and then we're going to talk Bolero number one, She-Hulk number one, which is unfortunately only of five, 
Batman the Night number one, Homesick Pilots number 11, Devil's Reign X-Men number one, and Silk number one, very briefly. But starting off with Cursed Pirate Girl, um, on a whim this week I, I purchased Cursed Pil Pirate Girl, The Devil's Cave at my comic shop, which is from Archaea Comics, an imprint of Boom. It turned out it was a uh, the fifth part in the story of the Curse of Pirate Girl, which goes as far back as 2009 when the first three issues were published under Olympian Publishing by creator-owned Jeremy Bastian. The first three issues came out in 2009 and you can find them collected uh, in, a in a number of different versions. And then in 2015, Bastion came out with part four of the story, which is known as the 2015 Annual. And that one was published by Boom Studios. Now in 2022, another has been, has been released by Archaea, which is, like I said, an imprint of Boom, rounding out the Cursed Pirate Girl Saga to five issues. We start the saga with the story of young Apollina, Apollonia, Apollonia, whew, God, that took me a second, who is the daughter of the governor of Port Elizabeth, and she meets the no-nonsense Cursed Pirate Girl, a wandering adventurer on a quest to find her lost father, who she claims is a dread pirate captain of the Omerta Seas. In subsequent chapters, we see the Cursed Pirate Girl stow away on ships, find the mystical Omerta Seas, make all kinds of unique friends, all while still searching for her pirate father. Her adventures are completely ridiculous, of course, with an extreme fantasy element backed up by impressively detailed art. This past week's new issue, The Devil's Cave, is part five, and in my opinion, it is the easily the most intricate of all the issues so far. It actually kicks off in a way that, in my opinion, is very meta about the art being so detailed, with a few random sea creatures, uh, sea creature characters, not really sea creatures, walking across uh, five or six pages of highly detailed maximalism portraits and such. It doesn't necessarily tie into the story, but it is a lot of fun to read. And just like the rest of the issues are, you can spend hours taking in all of the details. While the Cursed Pirate Girl is still searching for her father, this latest chapter of the story ends with the reveal that she has been tricked, and the man she was searching for is in fact not her father. It also teases a sixth part of the saga, which will apparently be called a Pirate Pizu. P-I-Z-U, which I imagine a Pizu is a party? <laughs> uh, it's also very noteworthy that Bastian hand letters every single word or thought bubble in the entire saga, no doubt a painstaking process. For context, usually comic book letters use preloaded computer fonts to simply type out and place the lettering that way. Bastion instead does it all by hand on top of his artwork, so each individual letter is unique. Overall, I would say the Curse of Pirate Girl saga reminds me a fair bit of Terry Pratchett's Discworld, as well as Ludocrats, which was a limited series from, I believe, last year. And where's Waldo? Getting into the number ones from the week that I thoroughly enjoyed, starting off with Bolero number one. This was a phenomenal kickoff. It is exactly what I want from an indie number one or any kickoff issue. Extra size, full of character history, waiting to be unraveled and added to. Mystery and intrigue, sci-fi fantasy, wildness, and most importantly, the world it takes place in has rules. 
Anything can happen usually means nothing interesting. Rules give guidelines, explanations, and complications to keep in mind. The story of Bolero is, in short, about a girl who falls in love with a trans woman, but her life was a bit of a mess and sometime later we see that our character has long since been left by her partner, who has moved on. She's left dealing with alcohol abuse, addiction, personality disorders, and who knows what else, and on this particular night, winds up with a man looking for someone in need of an adventure because he has a special key. I believe there were jokes about keys going in holes that you can imagine what that was. But anyway, it was funny. He takes her to a place where a kind of talking cat thing tells her the rules of universe hopping. Basically, she'll take the place of whatever her is in that reality until she decides to leave to another with her own personalized key. She can only go through so many doors though, so there is a limit. Those are the rules. Then the cat thing morphs into a weirder thing, uh, kind of maybe god monster uh, to make her a key from her DNA <laughs> and thanks her for not freaking out when it's done, which is the kind of dry humor that I completely love. I absolutely have no idea where this is going, not a clue, uh, but it does have an intense sex criminals feel to it, which is a great sign. It's not even the first time I've mentioned sex criminals in this podcast, so clearly it's a great comic. Now, She-Hulk number one came out this week, which I was super excited for and not disappointed by which is such a relief to be able to say. The thing that I am disappointed by is it turns out this is issue one of only five. Why don't they announce these things? I had to go to a completely different website to find out how many issues this was gonna be. And I was very disappointed. Again, you bring back, they made all of this marketing. It's like, oh, the mighty return of She-Hulk. She-Hulk's gonna be back in her own new series. But it's only five issues. I hope you feel what I'm putting down here. Uh, but the overall plot of this new era of She-Hulk is that She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, is back in action as a hero and a lawyer as Hulk. She wants to start a hero fight club, basically, where they can all practice and take out their various frustrations physically. It makes a lot of sense in my opinion and makes me think a lot of the fight club in Shanghai that we saw in Shang-Chi and makes me wonder if that is going to be somewhere we see Jen show up as well while she's training in her TV show is what I'm talking about now. But back in the comics, she has a talk with Titania who approaches her and who isn't really a villain anymore or even an enemy of Jen anymore. Uh, but she did hear that She-Hulk was back to her sensational form and she wants to test out her limits just like they did in the old days. Jen runs the Fight Club idea by her and gets it across to Titania that she actually has everything Jen has always wanted. A husband, a house in the suburbs, white picket fence, all of that. Why be jealous of someone envious of you? It really solidified them being on similar ground and that they aren't going to be enemies moving forward. It's kind of interesting because we know Titania is going to be showing up in the She-Hulk show, which does make me think that by the end of the series, they will be allies. Uh, there was also a return of an apparent fan-hated Dan Slott character, Jen's new boss, Mallory Book, who first came into the comics when she worked alongside Jen as extreme rivals at Goodman, Laver, Kurtzberg, and Holloway, the attorney's office that Jen notoriously works at in New York. Uh, at one point, she was even chairperson on a committee that sought to bring down the image of Sea Hulk. That was their only goal. Okay, but 
okay, get a life, but okay. <laughs> and her appearance in this series definitely makes me think that she's going to appear in the show as well. Otherwise, why pull her out of um, nothing, out of nowhere? Pull her out of this is this is saying that I just can't remember the word. But we're gonna move on. Batman the Night number one coming from Chip Zarsky, who again I keep mentioning on this episode. This was fine, honestly. It was fine. Pretty much exactly what you'd expect from this kind of story. It's Bruce's time between his parents' murder and becoming Batman. Um, a lot of it, I, I honestly think, was Chip trying to make us not like this Bruce, this young Bruce, because we can already see that his methods are beyond extreme. He bullies the school bully out of school, which doesn't make him any better than the bully in the first place. The one thing I really did enjoy, though, was Alfred being real with Bruce finally, telling him that he's let him become a spoiled brat, which is very accurate. The last element that might end up being something interesting to me is it would appear that when Bruce remembers or dreams about the night he saw his parents murdered, there seems to be some kind of knight in shining armor that he's seeing in the background watching. I don't know if that's going to end up being an actual character or if it's just Bruce adding it to his reasons to become a dark protector of Gotham or some crap like that twisted in his head. Uh, but it is interesting enough for me to want to stick around and find out. If it doesn't become a bigger part of the plot in the next couple of issues, I will probably stop reading this. Speaking of visions, does anybody else remember that issue of Daredevil? Uh, one of the last handful of issues was when Bullseye had all the clones of Bullseye, and then it was revealed at the end of the issue that he was seeing, he was doing all this because he was seeing like a godly angelic kind of figure who is telling him to be his you know right arm or right hand and slaughter all these people and then we never got an explanation on that i want to know what that was <laughs> moving on to homesick pilots number 11 this is the second well third arc really but this is the new arc for the series um which starts off with the homesick pilot house fighting the nuclear bastard. Ami and the two boys get pulled into the house. Ami pilots it in a fight against Meg, who is piloting the nuclear bastard. The coolest thing about this issue was how the details on how the ghosts interact with the house to make it ultimately a ghost-controlled mech bot. One of the ghosts works the gears. One is ultimately a cooling system. One warps basically space-time to keep the inhabitants safe, etc. And then we had the little boy who picks out weapons to use against the nuclear bastard, so everybody has a role. But then what turns out that one ghost is missing. It's a, a, the last puzzle piece for the house to be whole again. And it'll be up to the two boys in the picture to find them so the house can be complete. The old homeowner, who is the man with the horseshoe head, will be their guide. And he takes the form of armor around uh, the one of the boys the way he did in a previous issue, like a big suit. Their only clue for finding the missing ghost, though, is knowledge that the toilet is missing from the bathroom. So that's where the ghost inhabited, a haunted toilet seat. Meanwhile, the nuclear bastard Mech Meg is fighting in is controlled by her warped ghost-seeing and speaking mind. And those ghosts are made up of various tragedies from the surrounding areas. So the nuclear bastard is pretty much fueled on panic, fear, pain, and rage of the American people in general. It's actually kind of cool. <laughs> 
Devil's Reign X-Men number one is of three. Um, the basic rundown, we have Emma and Elektra. They were once Fisk's hired killers, one being fast and invisible, one being showy and diplomatic. Now that Fisk is on a rampage to get all the superpowered people out of New York City, that includes the X-Men's treehouse at Seneca Gardens. Emma plays her cards against Fisk in this particular round and wins, but he already has his next fight lined up for her. Details on the death of a young black girl back when Emma had worked for Fisk, whose unsolved murder she is apparently tied up in. Silk number one, I don't honestly have that much to say about. It pretty much picks up where the last did, not a lot has changed, um, but I will be supporting the series as it probably will only be another five issues. Um, but I love Silk, so I will be reading this. Let's get into this week's polls. Um, polls, not polls. P-U-L-L-S, not P-O-L-L-S. Comic book poll list. I can only hear poll, P-O-L-L. Uh, but these are the polls, P-U-L-L, for uh, the 25th, which happens to be today, my bad, and the 26th of January. We're going to go through the, uh, kind of go through the solicitations of the number ones, uh, and then a lot quicker over anything that is not a number one. However, we do have a lot of number ones here, and I'm really stoked about them because a lot of them are indie comics. The first is not, though. The first is the Batman Catwoman special number one. This has been pushed back for a good while because um, it was going to have art by Jean-Paul Leon, who unfortunately passed away during the creation of this comic. Um, therefore, it was pushed back a good deal. Um, it was meant to come out, I think, in November originally. And it has been finished now primarily by Mitch Gerrits, who uh, does a bit of a combination of digital as well as um, whatever you analog. I don't know. <laughs> as, um, oh gosh. He does uh, a combination usually of digital and traditional art. Um, but since Jean Paul Leon, of course, did not do digital, Mitch Gerrits does his portions of this issue entirely in his traditional style in homage to Jean Paul Leon. We also have art by Bernard Chang and Tommy Lee Edwards in this issue. Um, what it says about it, and it's out today, so if you'd like to pick it up, I would suggest you go do that as soon as possible. Some great romances are destined to be. The Batman Catwoman series shows readers the romance between Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle as it changed over their lives, but what about their connections from before they became costumed adventurers? The special one-off issue, meticulously illustrated by Jean-Paul Leon, traces the life of Selina Kyle from her earliest days to her entry into the criminal underworld, and reveals that Bruce was actually a presence in her life all along. Whether it was fate or coincidence, this story gives even more reasons why Selina and Bruce's connection is one of the most enduring love affairs in comics. So why is she cheating on him in her own series? Go figure. Um, again, there is art by Jean-Paul Leon, completed by Mitch Gerrits, Bernard Chang, and Tommy Lee Edwards. Emo Girl. <laughs> Emo Girl will be my first pickup from Blacktooth Comics. As a mildly emo girl in high school myself. Uh, can't ignore this one. This one called my name real loud. It is by Julian Lawyer, oh sorry, Lawler III, and Martin Montiel. Emo Girl is a noirish tale with an angry, moody, bipolar, and no-take-prisoners or take-no-prisoners um, attitude. Troubled teenager at the center of its universe. Emo Girl, aka Gemini Moon. Whew, what a name. 
is in state custody. Her father is in jail, accused of hunting down and killing a homeless man. The pair claim it was not a homeless man, but in fact, a vampire. Turns out the self-possessed vampire hunters have been doing it for years. No one knows who the father-daughter duo truly are or where the pair come from. The state shrink is asking her to claim coercion as she could escape the justice system fairly unscathed. But she refuses and sticks to her story. As Emo Girl goes on the hunt, can she survive high school? It sounds, it's like, it's like Sabrina, but goth. No, not really. It's, I, I hope it's a little bit like Sabrina though. End after end number one comes from Vault Comics by creators Tim Daniel and David Andre. We have an interesting little solicit here. Life is nothing if not a series of endings. School, jobs, friendships, love, until the end. Walter Willem's end was fast and unexpected. His life was an unremarkable life. Oh, his was in whatever. So how is it that his story continues as cannon fodder in an endless war raged, waged against an insatiable darkness hellbent on consuming all of existence? As Walter is right in believing, and is Walter right in believing, he's arrived in the midst of this titanic battle as the one destined to finally end it. That is the tale of end after end. I'm genuinely not sure what that even means, um, but picking up the first issue can't hurt. Just my wallet. New Men number one is from Action Lab Comics and is by uh, first-time African creators Morewa Ayodel and Morewa Ayodel. Oh, shoot. I copy and pasted that twice. Give me one moment. Okay, the second creator, the artist, is Adedoton, Adedoton Akande. I am sorry for having butchered the shit out of that. But what the solicit says here, it's the near future and those who face death without fear are given the abilities of gods, superpowers. People are trying, are tying themselves to train tracks and running into burning buildings to gain these powers. Few succeed, most die. Those that succeed are new men, but they're hunted down by the badass bounty hunter, Shade. Dive headfirst into the mind-blowing world of biopunk superhuman action straight from amazing first-time African creators, Eodel and Akande. I think that sounds awesome. Um definitely picking that one up everything sucks number one is from silver sprocket one of my personal favorite indie publishers it's by michael sweater noah and kala are high hungry and should probably go outside unfortunately the outside sucks you can't even get a, whole, a burger without the whole place almost burning down michael sweater combines 90s animation nostalgia sitcom antics and a seasoning of stoner comedy in this new series includes stickers and a poster I want that. I love Silver Sprocket. They know me. <laughs> Happy Hill number one is from Comics Tribe. That's C-O-M-I-X Tribe. It's by Rich Dueck and Joe Mulvey. It says, when a child goes missing on the grounds of an exclusive vacation resort, an investigation uncovers dark secrets hidden for decades and an unstoppable supernatural menace who will make this vacation permanent. Happy Hill is a vacation horror thriller. Available with two enhanced covers, Happy Hill reveals the horrifying truth about how far some people will go to be happy. The hills are alive with the sound of screaming. That's a tagline I can't ignore. I'm in. Cowboy Bebop number one. I've had this on the past like four episodes of pull list because it keeps getting pushed back. It might come out today. It might come out this week. I don't know. Superman and Robin special number one. We're, we're getting to this towards the end of our number ones here. This is by Peter J. Tomasi and Victor Bogdanovic. Bogdanovic. Yep. That's how that's, that's that. Um, 
the Super Sons now, if you may not have known, I'll probably say this in the solicitation, but um, the Super Sons were, of course, Damien Kent, Damien Kent, wow, Damien Wayne and John Kent, the sons of Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne, Superman and Batman. Um, they were more or less the same age um, and therefore went on cool adventures together. And the Super Sons series was so much fun when it was premiering. Uh, towards the beginning of Rebirth um, because it brought the two of them together and brought their fathers together and it was just, it was great. I loved it. But then Brian Michael Bendis brought John Kent into the future uh, and kept him there for a while and he came back as like a 20 year old. So now he's like much older than Damien. Damien is still like a teen probably like 13, 14, maybe 15. I honestly don't know, but he's not, he's not as old as John. Um, so this is now the two of them teaming up again as uh, Robin and Superman, basically. What it says is, as the super sons, John Kent and Damien Wayne put evil to bed past its bedtime, but a new day has dawned and John Kent is now the Superman of Metropolis, all grown up and fighting for truth, justice, and the kinds of grown up things that Superboy was only beginning to understand as a child. Now a ghost from John's past has reared its head and to battle this evil, he'll need to reunite with Robin for one last mission into the heart of darkness. This time they'll be battling not as super sons, but as Superman and Robin. This thrilling adventure is written by acclaimed super son scribe Peter J. Tomasi. And this is a one shot. This is just going to be a one shot special. So uh, don't expect more from these two, unfortunately. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Halcyon Legacy number one. This is a really exciting series um, because it's basically going to be an anthology. It's a, a, a series of anthology stories about the Halcyon Star Cruiser. For this first issue, it says, The voyages of the greatest of all star cruisers as the legendary Halcyon embarks on momentous, on a momentous cruise. Uh, the ship heads towards a confrontation with the First Order, but what secret from the higher public error can help the passengers and crew all these years later? And how did Jedi Nibs and Burry fend off a Nihil attack on one of the ship's first ever voyages? And I think it's in the second or third issue that we're going to be getting a story about Annika, Annika, Anakin and Padme, as well as Asajj Ventress. So that's another thing to look forward to in a few months. Mary Jane and Black Cat number one beyond or Black Cat it's Mary Jane and Black Cat beyond number one is a team up of of course Mary Jane and Black Cat and is our last number one on the list this week. This is by Jed McKay who is the classic uh well not classic but has been the modern Black Cat scribe as long with the artist here C.F. Villa. It says Black Cat has been kidnapped and the only person who can save her is Mary Jane Watson. Mary Jane has never liked Felicia Hardy, and now she has to save her life. But remember, this is the black cat we're talking about. Things are never quite what they seem. I, for one, am beyond over the Mary Jane versus Felicia. Um, why can't they be friends? Just, I, they can like the same guy and be friends still. Like, that. I, uh, enough of this enemies thing. Just... Can we stop having them hate each other? Okay, thanks. Uh, the rest of the comic book pull list, we have We Ride Titans, number two, is a vault comic by Trace Dean and Sebastian Perez. I thoroughly enjoyed the first one, and I believe the second one is going to be just as good with the character of Kit Hobbs coming to be a kaiju smasher. 
with a giant robot. Black Panther number three by John Ridley and uh, Wong Cabal is joined by artist Juni Ba. The Human Target number four by Tom King and Greg Smallwood is of, I believe, 12 issues. Death of Doctor Strange number five is finalizing the uh, reveal of the murder, the end of the villains, however they're going to wrap that up, and the new Sorcerer Supreme, who we know is going to be Clea. Uh, his by Jed McKay and Lee Garbit. Devil's Reign number three also comes out this week from Chip Zarsky and Marco Cicchetto. As I said before, when I was discussing the return of the Daredevil series in June, very interesting that they seem to kind of be backing away from that era of things and then immediately embracing it back to themselves once again. Wonder Girl number seven, um, I believe there was only one more issue to have of the series before we get into the trial of the Amazons Wonder Girl, but this is again by Joel Jones and Layla Del Duca. Harley Quinn number 11 by Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rosmo finds Harley, um, without Ivy, because, you know, the last issue and all that, that happened, they broke up. Um, I, whatever they have to say, whatever happens in this, they're going to be ending up with Harley in, uh, not Arkham, I believe it is, uh, the other one, Rikers? No, Rikers is a real place. Is Rikers a real place? <laughs> it sounds like such a comic book name. But anyway, she's gonna end up in prison in, in a couple issues. Uh, Monstrous number 36, the series is returning for the first time in 2022 from Image Comics by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. Monstrous, while I don't have a large discussion planned for it the way I do for Saga, it's not a very large discussion. Um, Monstrous is easily just as significant of a comic. Um, matriarchal Asian aesthetic fantasy with animals and ancient gods and magic and incredible violence and darkness. A um, little bit of sex, just a tiny bit. Monsters is another one that I tend to recommend if, if people want to want indie comics, I tend to go Saga, Monstrous. Those are the first two I always recommend. And Monstrous Returning this week. It's a really good start to the year. I am very excited. Now Saga is back with issue number 55. We'll start here with the solicitation. At long last, Hazel and her star-crossed family are finally back. But where the hell have they been? As thanks for the fans' endless patience, the Saga team is proud to return with a double-length issue, 44 pages of story, for the regular $2.99 price point, without variant covers or gimmicky renumbering. <coughs> Marvel. Just more pulse-pounding adventure, heart-wrenching character drama, and gloriously graphic sex and violence as Saga begins the second half of the series and the most epic chapter yet. This is by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, of course, coming from Image Comics. I started reading Saga long before I understood how comics work. I wasn't really even sure who the writers and artists were, um, or whose name on the cover meant what their job was. I didn't understand any of that stuff. I have never 
ever found somebody who does not like Saga. Um, a few people who didn't know it, but they all immediately learn to love it as soon as they read the first issue or so. Saga is an epic space fantasy opera, um, majorly NSFW at times, wildly creative and unimaginable, completely incomparable. It went on hiatus in July 2018 and now four years later, is returning to the most readers the series has ever had. In all of that time, there has been no subsiding of Saga's popularity, but now that it's making its return, it's the new age of Saga in a comic book store near you. And you do not want to be late, because uh, in 2022, Image Comics is no longer doing second, well, additional printings. Many comics um, would get second, third, fourth printings, depending on popularity. Image is no longer going to be doing that. Put Saga on your pull list, or you're not going to get it. Um, it's a really complicated world of comic shops trying to buy enough copies for the popularity of the comic, but not so many that it's going to sit on shelves and become a waste of money. You don't want to take that risk and be, and have your local shop choose the wrong side of that number and you don't get one because if you don't get one when it comes out that's it there's no additional printings you'll have to wait for the whole volume to come out to get that issue um put saga on your pull list guys you will you it's it's necessary <laughs> moving on to the book of boba fett episode four titled the gathering storm it's premiered last wednesday episode five will be this coming wednesday the episode mainly starts off with an explanation of how fennec shand and boba fett ended up together after her arc as we saw it in mandalorian she's left for dead but we knew somebody came by and found her body that was boba of course as we see him taking her to an android tech mod place where the, uh, quote, doctor on site is able to turn her blown out torso into robot parts, which saves her life. They steal his ship from Bib Fortuna in the former Hut Palace, uh, including some scenes of our first ever live action LEP droid, which we saw a couple of times in Clone Wars and Rebels, but it's like the little rabbit, the weird skinny faced rabbit robot. The, the little droid who was cute. Uh, it was really funny. And they go on a quest to find Boba's armor in the dead Sarlacc pit, armor that we know he made it out wearing, but a group of Jawas took from him while he was unconscious. So unsurprisingly, it does seem that the creature has some life left in it and grabs onto their ship, forcing Finnick to drop a bomb in it. Shortly after, the gang of speeder bikes from uh, before previous episodes go by, and Boba uses his ship to take them out on behalf of the slaughtered Tusken Raiders, whether or not it was them who killed them. Now, some articles have been very quick to critique Fennec Shan's ability to recover after everything that happened to her in Mando, and Boba's finding her and hauling her off on a bantha ride to Far Off Tech Clinic. It's pretty funny, because, you know, you, you don't hear people bitching about how Boba was literally eaten by a sand monster boiled in its acidic belly and then crawled through an unknown amount of sand to get to oxygen again, uh, was disarmed and dragged for miles through the sands on his back, but, but, but okay. Bitch about the woman and the android stuff. 
And if you would like to know a bit of the history on Wookiees and Trandoshans, uh, I, I did I did the research there for you so you didn't have to. Uh, Wookiees and Trandoshans, in the first episode of Book of Boba Fett, we saw a Trandoshan offer tribute to Boba in the form of a light brown Wookiee hide, no doubt taken from a slaughtered one. In this week's episode, the Madame's rather smart pleading... Uh, despite that, Black Chrysanthemum rips off an arm of a Tradotion in her sanctuary bar. Now, Tradotions have been greatly explored among Star Wars legends, which are the non-canon books and comics. Elements of legends have been brought into canon in the past, such as the Witches of Dathomir appearing on Clone Wars and then again being mentioned on last week's third episode of Boba Fett, and legends is often drawn from to add things to the current Star Wars properties. The histor- the history. <laughs> the history between Wookiees and Trandoshans and this whole scene between them is pulling directly from what we know from legends. Trandoshan society is very ceremonial, with rites of passage being important steps in each person's person's growth in their culture. Just so happens that their traditional best ever number one catch is a Wookiee. So, as a mighty hunting culture big on ceremony and tradition, they still often go to the Wookiee home planet of Kashyyyk to hunt and kill Wookiee warriors and bring their skins home as a prize. To add to that bad history, what's already been confirmed in canon is that we know two species, we know of the two species, is that Kashyyyk stood with the Jedi when Palpatine uttered his you know, Order 66, while the Trandoshans sided with Palpatine and the clone attacks. So just more bad blood. Uh, I also think we're going to be clearly seeing a lot more Chrysanthemum in the series and hopefully more Wookiees on down the line. Uh, So with any luck, Boba has already gotten rid of the Wookiee pelt from the first episode. Chrysanthemum doesn't really seem like the kind of person who waits for explanations about that sort of thing. Now that Boba has a rancor in his dungeon again, he can properly threaten the local crime families of Mosespa. There is a war coming with a Pike syndicate. That's why the twins left. It was because the Pikes are trying to swoop in. And Boba needs to have these other crime families stay out of the way. We have three more episodes left of the Book of Boba Fett, including this one. Uh, well, the one this week, I suppose, episode five. There probably won't be very much, if anything, in way of flashbacks now, since that seemed to be entirely told through Boba having um, memory dreams, basically, in his back to tank, which was announced in this episode was completed his healing. Um, so people are starting to speculate a little bit now who we might see joining Boba to fight the Pikes in the final episodes, and the main guest going around is, of course, Mando himself, uh, Jin Jaren. Since he is post-Grogu at this point in the, in the Book of Boba Fett show, um, that might actually be a possibility. Um, they put a little bit of his theme song in to this episode when it was mentioned that he's going to need allies, so that could be a bit of a tease or it could just be referencing there are going to be other Mandalorians coming in, if not necessarily Din Djarin. Um, I would definitely get a kick of out of the sheriff showing up from um, from Mando season two, you know, when he's got the, the Boba armor. <laughs> um, I'd get a kick out of that, but that's it's far less likely. 
with two more episodes coming of the Book of Boba Fett. Oh, sorry, three more coming. Um, it's it's hard for me to predict exactly what's going to happen and what episodes. Like I said, the promo not going to have much more flashbacks, so it's possible this whole episode is going to be him gathering forces to help with their fight. The the sixth episode could be the beginning of the fight, and the seventh, the end of the fight, and the final. Um, however, things are going to end up at the end of the series. It is getting to be close to the end of the month here, so we are going to go ahead and cover DC and Marvel April solicitations for comic books coming out in that month. Now, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but why I go over all of this every month is because it's a really good way of keeping your eye on the industry, um, seeing trends between the two, quote, big two publishers, um... It's, you know, in this case, you have, for Marvel, you have the Spider-Man 60th anniversary is getting kicked off, so they have a lot of Spider-Man stuff happening. The first era of the Hickman-less X-Men is finally getting up and started. Um, so it's a really good way to just be aware of what's happening in the industry. It doesn't always... What you see from uh, the, quote, big two doesn't always parallel to what you might be seeing in indies. If there's a lot going on in one, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot in the other, but it's a, it's a good basic way to keep an eye on the industry and the trends and things. So starting off with the Marvel, uh, solicitations for April, we're going to go through things that are starting in April with a number one issue. And then we have a few things that are continuing in April, uh, limited series and such, uh, and then I have a couple of interesting solicitations from things further along down the line and some brief uh, just reminders of what is going to be continuing without any of the details of the creative teams and things. So uh, up at the top of the list here, we're gonna, we have a lot of Spider-Man stuff. Again, this is uh, Spider-Man's 60th anniversary is this year. Um, so they have kicking off with its revamped number one, The Amazing Spider-Man number one. Um, I not sure which issue they're on. Uh, it's 800 and something if they're going by legacy. I've already gone on my long rant about renumbering comics and why I don't like that. So we're not going to talk about that again. You can rewind and listen to that uh, up there on the news when I talk about Daredevil. But this series is going to be written by Zeb Wells. And surprisingly, they have gotten the legendary Spider-Man artist John Romita Jr. to return to do the interiors. There's also going to be variants by... Take a deep breath here. Humberto Ramos, Mark Bagley, Travis Cheris, Jim Chung, Russell Darderman, Scotty Young, Bengal, uh, Patrick Gleason, Peter Momoko, Romita Jones, Art Germ, Inyuk Lee, Mark Bagley, and Romita Sr. Ooh, that's a cool one. Rose Besh and Rose Besh. Okay. I think that was all of them. <laughs> Uh, what It says, what did Spider-Man do? Peter's on the outs with the Fantastic Four. He's on the outs with the Avengers. He's on the outs with Aunt May. Can we just let Aunt May die, please? No one wants to see Spider-Man except for Dr. Octopus. Ox on Spider-Man's tail and the master planner has something truly terrible planned for when he gets his tentacles on Spidey. All that. And what does Tombstone have planned? Just in time for Spider-Man's 60th anniversary, a new volume of ASM begins and 2022 is going to be the biggest year for Spider-Man ever. Don't believe us. We brought John Major Jr. back just for this. Yes, he is a legendary Spider-Man artist. Yes, thank you. Hulk versus Thor, Banner War Alpha, oh, Banner of War Alpha number one. This is something I saw was happening and actually started laughing out loud. Um, this is so Donny Cates. Of course he would. He He's writing Thor. He gets a chance to write Hulk. What's the first thing he does? <laughs> Crossover battle. Now, this is not me being excited about 
monster battles. This is the Hulk and Thor. It's completely different. This is... <laughs> um, yeah, not too interested in this. Uh, but they do have covers by uh, Gary Frank, Martin Cocolo. Probably said that wrong. Ron Lim, Trevor Von Eden, and Ryan Stegman. Oh, and Jeff Shaw. Uh, I guess I'll read this illicit. Hulk and Thor have gone through massive changes recently, but one thing remains constant. They're heated. Is, is, do they have a heated rivalry? I'm not going to continue reading this illicit. <laughs> Electra number 100 is an exciting thing because it is written by legendary Electra and Daredevil writer Anne Nascenti with art by Paulo Sequeira, Ty Templeton, and more. Um, Anne Nascenti is one of the biggest names in classic Daredevil comics. She was a major writer in some of his biggest stories. I believe she was the creator of characters such as Typhoid Mary. Um, so having her come back for this Electra number 100, I guess this is the 100th, 100th issue that bears her name. I imagine that includes Woman Without Fear, which is currently going. Not entirely sure about that. I'd be curious to see the list of 100 issues, what they... Because I know the Spider-Man one, the Spider-Woman ones, uh, when they got to 100, it was super convoluted how they got to 100. <laughs> so I'd be curious which, which specific comics they're counting in that 100 issues. But what it says, we got a cover by uh, Dan Panosian, Dyke Ruan, Jen Bartel, and TBA. <laughs> which is not an artist, they just haven't announced that one yet. It says, Electra has been many things, a pawn, a pariah, even a provocateur, but through it all, she has been one thing above all others, the most dangerous human being in the Marvel Universe. Everything that has happened in her long and storied life has been leading to this, the 100th issue bearing her name and the starting point of what is to come by the legendary Anosenti. X-Men Red number one is an Al Ewing project with Stefano Caselli on art. We have a plur plethora of covers. We got Russell Dodderman, Javier Garon, Tarn Clark, Peter Mocha, David Lopez, uh, Tom Mueller, Christian Ward, and another TVA. Who can save the Red Planet? So the mutants of Araco spent millennia scarred by war. Remember, Araco is now Mars. Oh, and it's literally the next line. But on what was once called Mars, <laughs> they're still learning to live in peace. Storm knows the Red Planet needs something greater than a queen, but Abigail Brand has other plans along with an unsatiable Vulcan on her side and Cable keeping his own secrets. Welcome to X-Men Red. It's a new world and someone has to fight for it. So this is going to be mostly taking place on Arako. I can't say if I'm going to dig it because Al Ewing is incredibly hit and miss in my opinion. Legion of X number one by new uh, ex-creator Cy Spurrier uh, and Jan Basolda. Basaldua. I'm not sure if it's Jan or Jan, so sorry. Covers by Dyke Ruin, Tom Mueller, Todd Knock, Mike McCohen, Bob Quinn, Nick Robles, Ken Lashley, and Jamie McKelvey. Uh, it says, Cy Spear and Jan Bazulda Bazadua bring peace, love, and justice to Krakoa. Krakoa has its laws, but does it have justice? To remain a mutant sanctuary, Krakoa must safeguard itself against those who would damage its peace or traumatize its people. The lost must be found, the wicked must face redemption or retribution. It's up to the ever-soulful swashbuckler Nightcrawler to keep the spark alive and Legion to host his unique team of psychedelic mindscape called the Altar. With Pixie on point, Juggernaut as the one-man riot squad, and a host of ex-figurates on the beat, the Legion of X will do anything to protect mutants' right to pursue happiness and hope. Kicking off with the hunt for a missing Iraqi god and a skinjacker possessing innocent humans. That sounds weird. 
read this issue and come meet Weaponless Zen, Aura, Serata, and a villain worth praying for. Destiny of X bears its heart and soul right here. That sounds very complicated. <laughs> Knights of X is by Teeny Howard with Bob Quinn on art. We have covers by Yannick Paquette, Tom Mueller, Rod Reese, Stephen Segovia, Megan Hedrick, Philly Massafera, and Scotty Young. The quest begins here, where mutants are hated and feared once again. The gates of Otherworld are closed, and Captain Britain is trapped on the wrong side. Usurpers Merlin and his right-hand man, King Arthur, are now in control of Lunatic Citadel. Furies the size of sentinels raise villages to the ground in their hunt for the witch breed, aka mutants. Cut off from Krakoa, Betsy Braddock is Otherworld's only hero, and to save her people, Betsy must recruit a round table of her own. The Knights of X gather to restore the rightful order and res rescue desperate mutants, but their quest is about to get much bigger than that. This is the era of destiny, and the fate of Otherworld lies at the center of mutantkind's future. Don't miss this essential piece of new Krakoa. Also sounds really convoluted. Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird is a one-shot, uh, but it is by Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando with art by David Cutler and covers by Ken Lashley, Kyle Charge, and David Cutler. Elite Wrestling, nope, all Elite Wrestling superstar Nyla Rose slams into Krakoa with a back-breaking one-shot featuring the first X-Men to die in action. Yes, that is a true fact. This is the Mega Size one-shot. Rose teams up, oh, in this Mega Size one-shot, Rose teams up with comic star Steve Orlando, I'm not a fan, and First Nations artist David Cutler to grapple with the ramifications of Thunderbird's recent resurrection. Fucking finally. The world... John Proudstar has returned to is completely different than the one he once knew. Looking to find refuge in the familiar, Thunderbird seeks out the one person from his past at an Apache reservation and uncovers a horrifying threat to the indigenous mutant community. Will Thunderbird be able to save his people, or will his justified rage lead him astray? It fucking better not, Marvel. Don't mess this one up. X-Men 92 House of... It says X-C-I-I. -I. Is that... Thousand... Hundred? No. I don't know what, what number that is, I'm not gonna lie. It's but it's number one of five by Steve Fox and Salvin Espin. Covers by David Baldion, David Talaska, Scott Williams, and David Nakayami. Man, they like their Davids on this one. It says the nineties are back again. Uh there's one particular reason that I like this want to uh pick up this comic. In short, I don't even need to read you the solicitation. It's the 90s X-Men tackling the Krakoan age 30 years early. Boom. Again, X-Men 92, House of... Maybe it says 92. Maybe it says 92. Uh, Spider-Punk number one is of five, same as X-Men 92, House of whatever number that is, is also a five. But Spider-Punk number one of five is by Cody Ziglar, with art by Justin Mason, covers by Olivia Coplel, Maria Wolf, Mike Del Mundo, Takeshi Okazawa, Okazaki, I'm sorry, Todd Nock. Um, and it says, Anarchy in the Spider-Verse. Spider-Punk gets his own series. Hell yeah. Hoobie Brown, that's his name, is the anarchic, anarchic <laughs> Spider-Punk set to protect Earth-138 with his axe in hand, which is guitar, and his chaotic band of punk rock and heroes backing him. Norman Osborn is dead, but will the chaos he's created be too much for Spider-Punk and his gang to handle? Feel the vibes as Cody Ziggler and Justin Mason bring you the jams when Band in D.C. begins here. I'm guessing that means Washington, D.C. <laughs> 
Captain Marvel number one annual is not by Kelly Thompson, uh, and it is the first annual since Kelly Thompson's brand begins. So I think that they're about to restart Captain Marvel with a new writer, Torin Grombeck, who is writing this annual. She's also the one who saved Jason Aaron from destroying the Valkyries because he is kind of a really up and down writer. Uh, is by her as well as Carmos Gomez, who is a fantastic artist, with a cover by Lee Garbett and a variant cover by Raza. It says, Captain Marvel Beyond Behind Bars. Carol has gotten herself into an intergalactic scale of trouble where the Karaski military, and now she's locked up in their city-like prison with the Star Jammers. Will they be able to blast their way out, or will they be lost to the authoritarian labyrinth of Karaski law? Interesting also that they're having her go back with the Star Jammers. I, I really think we're going to get an announcement in the next couple of weeks, if not months, that Captain Marvel is restarting with Torin Grombeck as the new writer. I don't think they're going to just put her on and continue the story, especially when they've been putting in solicitation specifically that this is the longest running Captain Marvel series Carol has ever had. I feel like the only reason they'd mention that is because they're about to restart it. That's totally a Marvel thing to do. What if Miles Morales, uh, getting into the continuing stories here, what if Miles Morales number two of five uh, coming from John Ridley, who is again an Oscar-winning writer, and Farid Karami with covers by Sarah Pacelli, Paco Medina, and Carlos Pacheco. Oh, and Declan Shelby. Uh, this is a What If Miles Morales series. In this issue, he is. this is What If, basically, he was Wolverine. Strange number two comes from Jed McKay with art by Marcelo Ferreira. It got covers by Bjorn Behrens, Stephanie Hans, and TBA. It says Clea comes face to face with a mysterious Harvest Man as they both face off against an undead foe. Though just as Clea begins to uncover ways to bring Stephen Strange back, another attempt or another attack upon the magical realm is at hand. But Clea is not just any Sorcerer Supreme, she is a Warlord, and the second attack will not stand under her rule. The Warlords are the, um, basically the, the, the leaders of the Dark Dimensions, such as the Dark Dimension and the Purple Dimension and Gem Dimension or something, I don't know, there's a few others, but they're the Warlords. Captain Carter number two of five is by Jamie McKelvey, Marika Cresta, with covers by Jamie McKelvey and Mark Aspinall. Woman Out of Time continues. Captain Carter is back and now the whole world knows it, reeling from her new celebrity status. Aw, that's exciting. Peggy teams up with Strike, that is S-T-R-I-K-E acronym, to investigate the sudden resurgence of Hydra, but something doesn't feel quite right. Can Peggy trust what she's being told, or is someone trying to use her as a high-profile pawn in a game she doesn't yet understand? Once again, keep an eye on Peggy this year. She is probably going to become fairly important. Silk number four, it doesn't yet say if this is going to be a mini-series or not. This is by Emily Kim and Takeshi Miyazawa, with covers by Inyuk Lee, Jiung Lee, and Bengal. Old Lady Cindy. She becomes her newest villain's latest victim. Immortal X-Men number two by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick. Covers by Mark Brooks and Kari Andros, as well as Phil Noto and Rod Reese. Emergency council meeting. Magneto leaving the council means big shoes to be filled. Celine demonstrating her foot size by crushing the whole island beneath her is unorthodox yet compelling. That's funny. I have no idea what that's going to mean, but it's funny. She-Hulk number four, again, of unfortunately only five, by Rainbow Roll and Rohe Antonio, with the covers by Jen Bartel and Russell Dodderman. 
Super Fight Club is here and She-Hulk isn't going to break the rules. Good thing Rainbow and Rohe are going to break the rules first and talk to you about and talk about it just for you. Jennifer Walters never promised us not to break the rules at her day job. Rule number one, no superhero clients. She did promise her boss, though. So, dot, dot, dot. Um, again, with She-Hulk podcast has been pushed back to um, before her show in May. Well, her show will be June, but I'm going to do it in May. New Mutants number 25 is Vita Ayala with Rod Reese. And we have some cool covers by Lino Francis Yu, Art Germ, Philip Tan, David Balion, Dan Panosian, and Phil Jimenez. Um, this is New Mutants 25 that we have talked about on a number of solicitations because they keep pushing it back. I don't know why they keep pushing it back, <laughs> but it's in April now and I think it's finally official and it's going to be in April. The new era of Ileana Rasputin going against the Goblin King, Madeline Pryor. Thor number 24 is Legacy number 750. So we have a bunch of different creatives on board for a bunch of different stories, including main series writer Donnie Cates, also J. Michael Straczynski, Walter Simonson, Dan Jurgens, and more, with Nick Klein and many other artists on board. We have covers by Nick Klein, Declan Shelby, Taryn Clark, Junie Ba, Alex Maliv, Dan Jurgens, Pascal Ferry, Stephanie Hans, Dan Warren Johnson, and Mahmoud Asrar. It says, star-studded celebration of 750 issues. After a scorched earth victory against the God of Hammers, Thor and all of Asgard reel from brutal loss. But some people are never truly gone. And in honor of 750 issues of Thor, fan favorite creators like J. Michael Straczynski and Walter Simonson return in this oversized issue. Celebrate the long and storied history of the God of Thunder with the writers and artists who helped build his legacy. Um, and the last bits that I have here from Marvel, um, we have Moon Knight, Black, Black, White, and Blood will be continuing. The Gwenverse series will be continuing. Excellent is goes on to number three. Eternals, number 11. Black Panther, number five. Moon Knight, number 10. Ms. Marvel, Beyond the Limit, five of five. The Things, six of six. Iron Man, 19. Halcyon Legacy, four of five. And then we also note the Daredevil series is restarting in June. Now for the DC April solicitations, we're going to go pretty much the same method, starting off with number ones, then going into things that are continuing and uh, a short list of things that you just should note are also continuing, uh, though it's not any interesting numbering. So starting off, we got Batman Beyond, Neo Year, number one of six, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, with art and cover by Max Dunbar, other covers by Christian Ward, Simone DeMeo, and Jim Chung. Neo Gotham is alive and, is ca and has killed Bruce Wayne. It's rejected Terry McGinnis as Batman and offered him the chance to escape. Terry turned it down. He is a city's protector and he will not uphold and he will uphold the legacy of Batman. Now Neo Gotham will do everything in its power to destroy Terry, including creating brand new villains to fight him. Terry's first year without Bruce Wayne begins. Does he have a fighting chance? From the rising star creative team of blah blah blah, a new future for Batman Beyond has begun. Speaking of Beyond, we also have Flashpoint Beyond, numbers 0 and 1, uh, by Jeff Johns, Eduardo Riso, Dexter Soy, and covers by Eduardo Riso and Max Dunbar. Uh, for issue one, we have art by Zermanico, probably said that's super wrong, with covers by Mitch Garrett, Zermanico, Gary Frank, and Todd Nock. The world of Flashpoint returns. After sacrificing everything to help the Flash put the universe back together and save Bruce Wayne's life, Thomas Wayne wakes up in a world he thought was no more. Forced to don the cowl once again, Bruce prowls the streets 
oh, Batman, <laughs> Batman prowls the streets of Gotham searching for answers to how the worst world still exists. But what he starts to uncover will send him hurtling around the globe. The hunt for the clockwork killer starts here. The, set, the first issue, it says, Batman's hunt for the clockwork killer brings him to Europe and face-to-face -face with the Mad King, Aquaman. On the eve of Aquaman's sinking of London, Batman infiltrates his stronghold and goes on Warpath for answers. Nothing matters to Batman, whose world is already dead. But if he can track down the clockwork killer, Thomas can save his son's world and put everything back together again. We have a prequel coming for the Flash movie. It's called The Flash, The Fastest Man Alive, written by Kenny Porter. This is race through the streets of Central City in this lead-up to the hotly anticipated blockbuster, The Flash. After Barry's adventure with the Justice League, he's determined to become a truly skilled and inspirational hero. As a new threat emerges in Central City by the name of Girder, Barry turns to Batman for advice on training to master his powers. Can the Dark Knight help show the Scarlet Speedster a way to defeat his metallic menace, or will the Flash be crushed by Girder's strength? There is a CW crossover comic called Earth Prime, and they've got the first of six issues coming out in April by Natalie Abrams, Kelly Larson, and Camrys Johnson, with art by Clayton Henry. Spinning out of the hit CW series, Earth Prime continues the adventures of your favorite heroes from the small screen. While each issue focuses on a different Arrowverse series, a threat lurks in the background uh out to finally bring these heroes to their knees this first issue is about ryan wilder's batwoman and i guess luke fox interesting batman beyond the white knight number two of eight is the sean gordon murphy murphy verse uh obviously beyond the white knight the white knight continuation um we have Doom Patrol shows up in Batman Superman World's Finest number two by Mark Wade with the cover and art by Dan Mora. We have, oh, the second issue of the Earth Prime CW shows will be about Superman and Lois. Uh, it's going to be by Adam Mallinger and Jay Jamison with Andrew Wong. Um, Trial of the Amazons, we have the last three parts of it are going to be happening in April. It's going to be Wonder Woman 786, Trial of the Amazons, Wonder Girl number two of two, and Trial of the Amazons number two of two. Uh, Wonder Woman is written by Becky Clune and Michael Conrad with art by Rossi Kamp and Paulina Ganushao. I definitely said that wrong. Um... Trial of the Amazon's Wonder Girl is entirely by Joelle Jones, except for the variant cover, which is going to be by Babs Tarr, and honestly is not up to snuff with what Babs usually puts out. Um, and it does have interlocking main covers because Joelle Jones is awesome. Trial of the Amazons number two of two is written by Stephanie Williams, Vita Ayala, Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Joelle Jones, with art by Joelle Jones, Elena Casagrande, Skylar Patridge, God, I love Elena Casagrande, that's exciting, and Laura Braga, and it's got covers by Jim Chung and Rose Besh, and that will be the finale of Trial of the Amazons. Dark Knights of Seal number six of 12 will be coming out in April by Tom Taylor with Yasmin Putri and covers by Dan Mora and Joshua Milton with Mahmoud Asrar. It says kingdoms are divided, monarchs have fallen. Families have been torn apart. The kingdom of storms, the Amazons and the elves are on the brink of all out war. Can Constantine, Lois Lane and Harley Quinn stop what's coming or is the prophecy correct? Do Superman and his family have to die to save the world? Batman Catwoman number 11 of 12 is the 
penultimate issue of Tom King's series with Clayman, who will be back on the art for this issue. After barely escaping with one of her nine lives, Selena arrives at a crossroads. She can either continue her path of a criminal or take a chance at being a hero like Batman. There's just one thing she has to do, make a vow never to kill the Joker. But what could lead her to break that sacred promise years later? Find out in the penultimate issue of the blah blah blah. You get it. Justice League 75 I wouldn't normally mention, except that it is a special oversized issue written by Joshua Williamson with art by Rafa Sandoval. Um, Joshua Williamson will probably be the um, Justice League number one writer when that eventually comes out because this is the final issue of Justice League. It says superstar writer Joshua Williamson pens the beginning of the new next big DCU event. A new dark army made up from DCU's greatest villains has formed on the edges of the multiverse. The DCU's best and most powerful heroes are pulled together in an epic war to push the darkness back, but in the end, they are no match for it. That's right, you heard it here first. The Justice League are killed by the dark army, with only one survivor to warn the remaining heroes of Earth what is coming for them. They're not- they're not- they're not actually dead, don't worry. Gotham Girl makes her return in Detective Comics 1059 in a backup story written by Cena Grace with art by David Laffham. It says, in, in the story, Gotham Girl Interrupted Part 1, the super-powered Claire Clover returns to the city that helped ruin her life to get psychiatric treatment at the new Arkham Tower. But when Gotham Girl's newfound semblance of normalcy is rocked by a murder mystery, she finds someone unexpected at the heart of the crime, herself. We also have Catwoman 42, where she seems to be having a romance with this new guy. Well, meanwhile, we're, we're all reading about how she and Batman are ultimately married. Souls, whatever. Uh, Harley Quinn 14, she is back in Blackgate and has to either escape or prove her innocence. And there will probably be a prison riot based on what this says here. Uh, Batman Killing Time 2 of 6 by Tom King and David Marquez will be coming out. And then also Naomi season two, two of six, Batman the Night, four of ten, I Am Batman number eight, which is taking place in New York, Monkey Prince number three, Nightwing 91 with The Flash as a co-star, and Wonder Woman Evolution number six. All right, that is, that's it for today, folks. We got the next episode is going to be coming up on the 31st of January. It's going to be episode 50. Uh, which is actually episode 92. <laughs> it's going to have The Book of Boba Fett, episode 5, which comes out tomorrow, the 26th. It's going to have comic book picks, comic book polls, um, any other news or theories or anything that I picked up on the internet that sounds interesting in this next coming week. Whatever else geeky shit I feel like talking about. Um, thank you for listening for whatever portion of the podcast you do listen to. I always appreciate it. Um... If you'd like to find me online or anything, go ahead. There are 90 other episodes that you can go back and listen to. If you um, have nothing to do <laughs> or are looking for something to listen to, there are 90 episodes and this is the 91st. So happy one year anniversary to this podcast. Um, I appreciate any amount of listener support that I get <laughs> or listener interaction or anything like that. Um, so yeah so congratulations to us for one year um and as we get to the end of the first month of 2021 already jesus um don't stress too much about new year's resolutions just try to make good choices in the moment when you can the best choice that you can with the information that you have and just don't 
be openly judgmental towards people. Uh, but do get sweaty about your hobbies and comics. And if you got to sweat it out about something on me, uh, to me about you read something you really loved, I will listen because I totally get it. Um, so have a great week, read something awesome and be sweaty about your hobbies, bro.